This city will make you weary, won't it? This city will make you weary. I tell you what, the nature of Washington, D.C. is that people from all over the country and even all over the world uh, can bring baggage that they've got here in hopes that they will be heard. And uh, it is weary to carry the anger and the hatred uh, of the world sometimes here. I've got good news for you. It says in Scripture in Isaiah chapter 40 that even the young grow tired and weary that even the young will stumble and fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles, Scripture says. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk and not be faint. We have a great gift today, and that is this. When the weariness of the world is on our shoulders, we can go to Jesus and we can find hope. He is the giver of strength. He is the giver of boldness. He is the giver of freedom. And because of him, we can move forward and not be crushed by the weariness of the city. It's been a long week, hasn't it? I'm so grateful that you came to worship with us today. And the passage of scripture that we're going to read is the same scripture that we've been going through over these last several months. Once again, uh, the Lord has given us, we've been working through a passage from top to bottom, a passage that is very, very DC today. Uh, It's the story of a young man named Obadiah who works uh, in politics. He's the keeper of the palace, the chief of staff uh, for Ahab. And in the story that we're gonna go through today, this is so interesting. Um, He is in a situation where uh, there are some wicked things taking place uh, in the government setting that he's in. Ahab's a very wicked king, and yet Obadiah is able to live in a very, very devout fashion and cling to Almighty God with all that he is. And that is the story uh, for us as well. It doesn't matter what situation you are coming from. The Lord desires for you to be devout in your relationship with him. If you're taking notes, uh, flip open to, excuse me, if you have your Bibles, flip over to 1 Kings chapter 18, 1 Kings chapter 18, and then we're going to start in verse 1. 1 Kings 18 is the lead-in, by the way, for one of the greatest miracles in the history of the Old Testament, uh, when Elijah calls down fire from Mount Carmel. But we get right here, before the fire from heaven comes down, uh, before the miracle that takes place in front of the entire country, we get this little random story about a man named Obadiah that the Lord used very powerfully during some very dark days. If you're taking notes, a good question as we get started today. Have you ever heard a story with a really important, memorable supporting character? Have you ever heard a a story or seen a movie that had a really memorable supporting character in it? Um, I can tell you my personal favorite, Tombstone's one of my favorite movies of all time. Uh, Kurt Russell plays Wyatt Earp in Tombstone, but everybody remembers Val Kilmer as Doc Holliday. So much so that if I ask you to name a line from Tombstone, those of you who've seen it, you would probably name I'm your Huckleberry or something that Val Kilmer's Doc Holliday has to say. Memorable supporting characters add to the story and help you understand, uh, again, the severity of the circumstances. Back when I was growing up, there was an original Jurassic Park movie that came out. You remember Jurassic Park, the original one? Came out, I believe it was in 1993, 92, 93. Uh, And in that movie, there was a very memorable supporting character. Uh, His name was Robert Muldoon, and he was uh, an Australian hunter. 
uh, that comes in, and he's the one in charge of taking care of the, uh, the raptors and taking care of them. But every line that Robert Muldoon delivers is overly dramatic in a heavy Australian accent. And I'm telling you, it's just great. In fact, the way that he introduces himself to the main characters, he says, they should all be destroyed. And I mean, again, every line that he has. In fact, when I was in high school, uh, we went on a trip, and we all just tried to quote Robert Muldoon the whole time. Again, very memorable supporting character. The words were very memorable because, again, the dramatic fashion in which they are brought about. We get introduced to a character here named Obadiah, and Obadiah, like many of us here in D.C., are in positions where we are supporting someone who is making bigger decisions. In many of your case, the federal government making big decisions, and you are a supporting character uh, in what is taking place. I want you to notice what happens here in Obadiah's life. Look at 1 Kings 18, and we're going to start in verse 1. Here's what it says. It says, after a long time in the third year. In the third year, we know from a passage in James, it was three and a half years that no rain had fallen in the land. Three and a half years of pandemic that they've been navigating. Three and a half years of famine. After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go, present yourself to Ahab. Underline Ahab. Ahab is the wicked king in Israel. And Elijah is the one who has said early on that that rain will not fall until the Lord tells me and then I speak and give you my word that the rains will fall again. He says, uh, again, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go, present yourself to Ahab and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab And the famine was severe in Samaria. The picture here is of the dire circumstances that are taking place. No rain in three and a half years. Again, the land is weary. The people are weary. The establishment is weary. And all of a sudden, the Lord tells Elijah, it's about to be over. The blessing is about to come. But a showdown with Ahab has to take place. Now look at what it says in verse 3. Now Ahab had summoned Obadiah. Underline had summoned Obadiah who was in charge of his palace. Underline who was in charge of his palace. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Circle, highlight, and underline that Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. What we have in this passage that's so interesting is it all kicks off with this major spiritual battle that is taking place in a land that is weary, with people that are weary because there's been no rain, there's nothing to eat, there's nothing to drink, they've got crops that are dying, they've got animals that are dying, even their families. We have the story of the widow where even the families are struggling to the point that they are starving to death. And now the Lord says, go, go to the people, lift the famine. It's going to be an amazing experience. And you have Obadiah here who has been working in the palace for a wicked leader. And yet he is still described here as a devout believer in Jesus Christ. If you take your notes, write this down. Your godly living is not determined by a wicked boss or a lousy job. Let me say that one more time. Your godly living is not determined by a wicked boss or a lousy job. So Obadiah was a very common name, according to the commentators. In fact, just like Mary and Joseph were common during the time when Jesus was born, they were very common names. Obadiah was viewed as the most common name during this time period. You know what Obadiah means? It means servant of God. His name meant servant of God. His reputation, that he was devout, meant servant of God. And his actions showed that his character meant servant of God as well. And yet, listen to me. 
he was able to be devout and find that razor-thin line of having godly character, of being a godly leader in a situation where his boss was not godly and the situation he was in was impossible. He still found the line, and that is our city, isn't it? You have to find a line. If you are the person that's decided, if there's not godly leadership, then I don't know if I can be devout. Obadiah is the picture that you can. We're about to read in a minute that Jezebel was actually seeking out preachers and putting them to death, and yet he was still able somehow to serve in that household. Can I tell you why? Because he was placed for such a time as this into that moment. The Lord positioned him like a pillar of light in the midst of the darkness so that there could be a godly influence even when difficulty was present. I want to encourage you, live godly in your circumstances. Do the righteous and godly thing. We were joking about this with the staff. Joking is not the right word. We were talking about this and just talking about how ironic it was that the way this city works. When people come to our town, a lot of times you come into town and I mean, it's great. You're posting on Facebook. Everybody's high-fiving you if you're moving here from somewhere else. Everybody's so excited that you're coming into town. And you know how most people leave this city? Like a ship in the night, you know what I mean? You just kind of slink away and slink back. Can I tell you why? You come here and the Lord brings you here and you do what you are called to do. But there's three ends to anybody in D.C. You can either creep away like a ship in the night. You can either sell out or you can get strung up. Those are the three ways that you leave this city. Nobody just gets to gloriously stay here. The city is not built for that. The great machine rolls on. Democracy rolls on. And so because of that, we have to realize as believers in Jesus Christ, you do what God has set aside for you to do. And gloriously you do it. Just like Obadiah, he was placed for a powerful moment right there so that he could do the work of Almighty God. But it didn't cause him to not be devout in his faith. If you're taking notes today, our big million dollar question that we're going to address, and guys, I'm telling you, I wrote this sermon on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning before everything else happened. This is a word to you that the Lord set up. I wrestled with it this week, and we're going to address this question. How do you serve God during a difficult season? How do you serve God during a difficult season? The answer we find is going to be in the way Obadiah behaves moving forward. A devout believer in a situation that is definitely, at the very least, ungodly. Um, look at what happens in verse 4. Here's what it says next. How do you serve God during a difficult season? Verse 4. It says, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets, underline Jezebel killing off the Lord's prophets. She is the queen uh, in, uh, uh, in Israel, and Jezebel had come from a, 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 even in her name where it says Bel there at the end, she was from a family of known Baal worshipers, God of human sacrifice, and a deep enemy to the Lord, so much so that she has performed a genocide, killing the Lord's prophets. Look at what it says. It says, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and had hidden them in two caves, 50 each, and supplied them with food and water. Stop right there for just a minute. Obadiah is devout in his devotion to Almighty God, and he continues to serve well in the king's palace. When we have found out, we find out right here that Jezebel is working against the prophets of the Lord. According to one of the commentators, most of the older prophets had gotten out of Israel and gone to Judah so that they could be safe in a land where they could worship freely because they were older and, again, weary and a bit weak. 
But what's happened here is Obadiah has felt so strongly that when the nation does turn back to Yahweh, there need to be priests that are ready to preach. So he takes a hundred of the young prophets, divides them up into multiple caves, and then somehow, some way, finds a way to feed and give them water to sustain them through three and a half years of famine. This is a devout man of God doing the very best he can while walking that razor-thin line of working in the palace. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do you serve God during a difficult season? Number one, first and foremost, you are courageous in living your faith. You are courageous in living your faith. That is what we are called to do. It is the reason that the Lord has sent you to this city. You are to be courageous in living your faith. I had the opportunity recently to go to a friend's retirement ceremony. This is an individual that I would consider to be a military hero. And at the retirement ceremony, they named off all these different accolades that this person had done for our country. I mean, it was astounding. And then after it was over, we went to a little party. And then after it was over, we sat with this individual. And I said, man, I didn't know most of that stuff that you'd been a part of that you'd gotten to do. He said, can I tell you what I'm most proud of? He said, very early on in my career, he said, I was asked to take 20 Bibles to China. He said it was a little bit iffy on whether or not it would be legal or not. But he said, I felt so strongly, he said, I took those 20 Bibles to China. And this is at a retirement ceremony, looking back on a stellar heroic career. And he said, you know, if that's the whole reason God sent me to the military, was to take those 20 Bibles to pastors in China, then it was well worth it. Why? Why say something like that? Don't miss this. Because what he had done was eternal in nature. As awesome and as wonderful as the things are that we do for this country that we love, the things that we do courageously in faith for Almighty God, those are eternal in nature. Courageous faith, by the way, isn't just smuggling Bibles into China, just so you know. Courageous faith sometimes is telling somebody that you've been praying for them to actually speak it out loud and tell them that that's what you've been doing. You know why we don't even want to do that? That is like base level courage. But we're scared if we tell them that, they'll think we're a religious nut job. You know what I mean? And you sit there and you go, I'm so afraid, even though I passionately pray for you, I'm so afraid to speak those words. Can I tell you as one who tells people all the time that I've been praying for them, because I do, 99.9% .9 of the time, even if they don't believe there's a God, they will look at you and say, I really appreciate that. Why do we get so afraid? Courageous faith is why we are here. It's what we've been called to. Sometimes, when I go into retail stores or when I'm at a restaurant where there's a waiter or waitress, I'll notice that somebody is hurting and feeling bad or something, something's going on with them emotionally and it's just a heavy moment. Or have you ever had this happen before? You go to a retail store and somebody's just getting yelled at right there in front of you. That's the worst, isn't it? I started doing something, courageous faith, and it makes me feel weird every time. But I'll get to the counter where somebody has just been yelled at or again, I'll be in a situation where I'll notice somebody's hurting and I'll walk up to the retail counter and usually what I'll do is I'll put my hands on the countertop just like this, laying out, and the picture there is, I have no agenda. But I'll look them in the eye and I'll say, hey, you don't have to close your eyes or bow your head, but I saw what happened and I just wanna pray for you. 
Don't close your eyes. I don't want it to be weird. You mind if I pray for you? Every time, you know what they say? I would really appreciate that. And I look them square in the eye, pray for them, and then I go, okay, I'm going to hand you my money. I'm going to pay for my item, and you know that I'm praying for you throughout the day. And with soft eyes, they look back and they go, thank you. I really, really needed that. Courageous faith is saying, Lord, I see the pain, the weariness of the world around me, and I breathe Christ upon it. I bring him to the table in service. I bring him to this moment. I had the opportunity earlier this week on Thursday, a day after the carnage at the Capitol, I had an opportunity to get to pray with a friend to receive Christ that we had been praying for for five years. It was crazy. It was just such a holy and special moment. His prayer was beautiful. He prayed, I bind myself to Christ. It was the most beautiful, beautiful moment and beautiful prayer. Can I tell you a secret? I get nervous to share the gospel every time, and I do it for a living. I get scared every time. I get to thinking, this guy's been my friend for five years. Do I really want to ask him this question right here, right now? And the Spirit screams, yes! Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you just have a little bit, a smidget, a mustard seeds worth the courage? When we do that, it changes things for eternity. If you're taking notes, write this down. Christ-centered courage springs from a foundation of humility and not pride. Christ-centered courage springs from a foundation of humility and not pride. Sometimes we can view courage as someone with their hands on their hips standing like a glorious marble statue. This would be the worst marble statue ever, just so you know. But you stand up like a glorious marble statue and you go, yes, have courage. This is what courage looks like. Most of the time, courage looks like you with your hands on the countertop saying, I came here to share the gospel with you. I came here to share faith and peace with you. Is that your circumstance, or do you operate in abject fear? If that's you, you're missing out on the eternal implications of this world. I want to show you a passage. There's a thousand examples of uh, courageous faith in Scripture, but this one, I think, is very indigenous to D.C. Flip over to John chapter 19. Save your spot in 1 Kings, but flip over to John chapter 19, and we're going to look at verses 38 through 42. As you flip that direction, John chapter 19, many times when we have people come here specifically to work on policy, this is one of the verses that I like to read uh, to those individuals. If you're coming here to accept a position or, again, because you've worked your way up or you've been deployed here, this is a powerful picture of how the devout believer uh, operates in a government position. Here's what it says. Look at uh, John chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 38. Just so you know, this is literally after Jesus takes his last breath on the cross. This is the moment where Jesus has cried out, it is finished, Father, into my hands, into your hands I commit my spirit. And all of a sudden when Jesus dies, he has died in a place called Golgotha. They crucified people. Golgotha meant the skull, but it was the trash heap where they would crucify these criminals. And the reason they did it at the trash heap was symbolic that these people were trash. And then after the crucifixion was over, most of the time a criminal couldn't afford a proper burial. And so what they would do is just dump their body over the back 
into the landfill. And here's what happens. On Easter Sunday, we have the empty tomb to look forward to as a symbol of the resurrection. Again, everything surrounding it, so powerful. Then the way that the stone is rolled away, the way that the guards are left unconscious there at the temple, the guards are left unconscious there at the tomb. All these amazing things that happen on the day of the resurrection. And yet, right here, in this moment, they could literally just dump Jesus' body over the back into the landfill. Look at what happens. But God raises up some warriors of courageous faith, some men of means, and in this case of Nicodemus, also a man who was on the Pharisee council, a man of position. Look at what it says, verse 38. It says, Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jews, with Pilate's permission, he came and he took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, underline Nicodemus, the man who had earlier visited Jesus by night. And Nicodemus brought the mixture of myrrhs and aloes, about 75 pounds of stuff. It says, taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and the strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. And at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and the garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. Stop right there for just a minute. Notice what happens here. For such a time as this, Joseph of Arimathea had been given the means to offer up this tomb. He also had the reputation to be able to go to Pilate and say, listen, I know this has been a really rough situation. I know this has been an awful day. I know there were riots in the city, but please give me the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus comes up on behalf of the Pharisee council. He again is separate from their group and he comes in and says, I was there. I watched the trial take place. Pilate, please just let us give him a proper burial. Let us put him in this tomb. Joseph says, I even have a tomb right here nearby where we can take him to. And Pilate looks and says, you know what? I've been sick of their junk through this whole thing. I'll go ahead and give you the body because you two seem like you have a level head. Now listen to me. That's how we get the empty tomb. Joseph, a man of means. Nicodemus, a man of position. And that's the way we get the empty tomb. The courageous faith of those two, when everyone around them is screaming, rip them to pieces, toss him like trash into the landfill. The resurrection still could have happened from the landfill. You know that, don't you? But the tomb, the tomb was a place of great hope that they could see that broken stone rolled away, that they could see the entrance to that tomb, that they could see the guards the two days leading up to it standing out front. The testimony was great because those two had courageous faith. Does that describe your time here in the city? Or is your time about staying as long as you can? If that's you, you're gonna struggle finding peace. Let me say that again. If your goal is just to stay on top of the mountain as long as you can, you will struggle finding peace. I'm gonna ask you a really hard question. Are you ready for this? Is there any part of your faith that you would label courageous at this point? Let me ask that again. Is there any part of your faith that you would label courageous at this point? Or is everything about your life and career just staying as long as you stinking can? For Obadiah, he lived devout so much so that he put it on the line to protect a hundred lives, a hundred preachers' lives, 
so that the revolution, so that the revival and the revolution could take place amongst the Jewish people. Is there any part of your faith that you would label courageous at this point? Now flip back over to 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to look at verses 5 through 7. It says next, Ahab said to Obadiah, go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any of our animals. Please stop there for just a minute. In the previous verse, it said that Jezebel was putting the priests of the Lord's to death. And then in this passage, we get to see the selfishness of the royal family because they are more concerned with the lives of their livestock than they are for the lives of their people. That's the situation that Obadiah is serving in. Look at what happens next. This is so interesting. Verse six. So they divided the land they were to cover, Ahab going one direction and Obadiah going another. Don't miss this. Obadiah going in a separate direction from the king shows that he had been trustworthy in his duties. He's been devout in his faith, but he has also been trustworthy in his duties to the point that the king could send him off in a separate direction. Now look at verse seven. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him on the road. And Obadiah recognized him, bowed down to the ground, and he said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Remember, seeing Elijah symbolizes the end of the pandemic, the end of the drought, and an opportunity for the people to turn their eyes back to Almighty God. Can I tell you what Obadiah is not doing? Obadiah is not walking in utter despair, even though his work situation is difficult, even though his boss is wicked, even though, again, it's unthinkable things that are happening in society. Obadiah is not walking with his head to the ground. He is up and alert, watching for God to work in his daily life. And if you're taking notes, that's our next point. How do you serve God during a difficult season? Number one, you are courageous in living your faith. And number two, you expect the Lord's involvement in your daily life. You expect the Lord's involvement in your daily life. When you go through a difficult season, it can feel like you've been beat down and beat down and beat down until eventually your eyes have just dropped in hurt, in pain, in anger, in frustration, in hatred. You just feel like you've been dejected and you're in despair and looking down. You got to remember the words of the old timers. Keep your head up. Keep your head up wasn't them saying pretend like nothing's wrong. Keep your head up, men. Watch the horizon because the sun is going to rise one day. Amen? The sun is going to rise. Keep your head up because the Lord is still at work and the miracle is coming. If you're taking notes, again, you expect the Lord's involvement in your daily life. Another quote here for you. Expectant, alert eyes will see the Lord stirring before the miracle arrives. Let me say that again. Expectant, Alert eyes will see the Lord stirring before the miracle arrives. One of my favorite movies is Remember the Titans. Do you ever see Remember the Titans? Love that movie. In fact, it takes place, I mean, just a few miles from here. T.C. Williams High School over in Alexandria. I love the scene. The turning point in the movie happens when they're off at camp. 
you've got black and white students fused together on the same football team, carrying, again, all sorts of frustration and hatred from the community and really from the country on their shoulders, much like we do here today, carrying that frustration while they're trying to come together and do something different. Couldn't have picked a better actor to play the head coach, Denzel Washington. I love it. He has this smirk that Denzel does, really in all of his movies, just who he is, but he's got this little smirk in the movie that is the indicator that something bigger is going on. I love the scene when they're off at camp and you've watched it. They're trying to come together, but again, they just keep button heads. They just keep, again, coming against each other. And so, what happens? The Obadiah of the situation, Denzel Washington, Coach Boone comes up and says, you know what we're going to do? We're just going to keep practicing over and over again. Two a days, two times a day. We're going to meet up, be together, and we're going to try to play football together until you guys are just completely exhausted. Well, then, in between the practices, the two leaders of the group, white student named Gary Bertier and then a black student named Julius, come together, both the defensive end, Bertier on the left side and then Julius on the strong side. And do you remember? They come together trying to get water after they've all been running until they throw up. And they come together and Bertier goes, I'm sick of running these two-a-day practices. I'm exhausted. I'm weary. We can't do this anymore. And they have a real, honest discussion on what it's going to take for the two of them to come together. Again, it's this dire situation, just like Obadiah is experiencing. It seems like it's never going to happen, and yet they're watching the horizon, and all of a sudden they have this conversation, and it hits Bertier like a lightning bolt. In the evening practice, with the light shining, exhaustion, sweat, and blood dripping, all of a sudden there's this moment where it comes together, and do you remember? Bertier looks over at Julius, and Julius makes a good play. He looks over and says, way to go, man, left side, and all of a sudden you can see it. They don't quite come together in that moment, but Denzel Washington, the Obadiah of the situation, does his little smirk, and he goes, run it again. Same play, run it again. Have you not put two and two together on that? Some of you football athletes in this room will know they're running the same play. The same result is about to happen. The kid is going to get knocked over one more time. Man, what Denzel Washington has done there is set up the moment for the white defensive end to affirm and celebrate what the black defensive end is about to do. He has set up that moment. The miracle is on the horizon, and you watch it. It's even worse than it was the first time. Blows up the line, tackles the running back, and man, it is a beautiful play. And you watch it. Bertier comes out again. Left side. And you watch it. There's the moment with Julius. He looks over. And the actor does such a good job in that moment. You watch it. The tension begins to build. Everybody's watching the horizon. And then it erupts in the miracle. Strong side. Left side. Strong side. Left side. Strong side. And then the team ends up coming together. The miracle takes place. Don't miss this. It's just a movie. But it's a picture of the way our God works. When you're the Obadiah, when you walk that razor-thin line of being devout in truly an impossible circumstance, the power of Almighty God begins to show up like a flicker, and you see it, and you smirk just like Denzel Washington because you know the Lord is about to do something amazing. Some of you say that's just a movie. It happens all over Scripture, but no finer example than the story of the prodigal son. The father, when the son is a long way off, sees his son and runs to him. You know the setup of that story? 
the son has said, I want my inheritance. The last words that the prodigal has said to the father is basically, I wish you were dead. In legal terms, he said, it would be better for me if you were dead than alive because then I'd at least get the money that you owe me. You think the father just after one conversation goes, okay, take it. For the father to actually give him his inheritance, that was a weary father that said, I've tried the reason with you, son, but if this is the only way, take it. They have no contact. And not only that, the father has probably heard tales when people from their village went to the city for supplies. He's probably heard tales of the son wasting the inheritance. But the father is alert, eyes up, keeps his head up, and prays for that day of miracle. And when the son is a long way off, it says the father sees him and he runs to him. I want to encourage you, keep your head up today. The Lord is up to something in our days. You can feel it. We just have to trust him. I got a great verse for you. Save your spot there in 1 Kings and now flip over to Psalm chapter 3 found this verse again this week and it's a special one psalm chapter 3 verses 1 through 3 this is david and if you notice at the top there's a little disclaimer thing a little uh, setup for how this psalm was written it's this psalm of david when he fled from his son absalom can i tell you why fled from his son absalom is important this is both a family problem and a country problem that's taking place here there's a division in his family because his son absalom has laid siege to the capital but david is the king here there is a family and a political divide that has taken place sound familiar again it's brothers against brothers in this case it's father against son look at what he says here in the midst of it oh lord how many are my foes how many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. Look at this. But you are a shield around me, O God. You bestow glory on me and you lift up my head. Stop right there for just a minute. The power of God in this passage is David saying, everybody's pressing in around me. Everybody's telling me the nation's going to be torn in two. Everybody's telling me that it's going to fall apart. The civil war is the only place that we can go from here. And he says, and yet you, God, are a shield around me. You protect me. You protect my family. And then he says, you lift up my head. You remind me that I do not have to live in despair. You remind me that hate is not the answer. You lift up my head and I can see that you are at work even in the midst of dark, impossible days. It begs the question, are your eyes up? Are your eyes up? Or have you been beat into submission? That cannot be the church. Amen? That cannot be the church. This is our moment. This is what our faith was built for. Adversity, endurance. Are your eyes up? Or are you even so hate-filled, so hurt, so angry that you can't do anything but stare at your shoes? This is not the day to stare at your shoes, kids. It's a day to look to the horizon for the miracle. Flip back to 1 Kings and we'll finish up. Look at 1 Kings chapter 18. And we're going to start in verse 8. Now, these are DC verses. Are you ready for this? These are DC verses. He's been courageous. He has served in a wayward administration, and he's done it well while still staying devout. 
He has expected the Lord's involvement in his daily life so much so that he sees Elijah before anybody else does. And then here's what he does next. Self-preservation. Look at what happens in verse 8. Yes, Elijah replied, go tell your master, Elijah is here. Now look at verse 9. This is the guy who's been so faith-filled that he has two caves of 100 preachers stashed away when it's illegal to do so. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? Stop right there for just a minute. None of this is by accident. Those of you who were here with us last week when we talked about the widow whose son was about to be raised from the dead, again, you have this miracle of miracles that's going to take place. What is her first response to Elijah when he asked for a deposit of faith? She says, what have I done wrong? Have you come here to tell me about my sin? It's the same thing here for Obadiah. They've been looking for, uh, they've been looking for Elijah all this time and for him to say for Elijah to say I'm here tell your master that I'm here you're going to have to pave the way for this political discussion to take place we need people to turn their eyes back to Yahweh in the midst of this awful circumstance look at what happens what have I done wrong ask Obadiah that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death are as surely as the Lord your God lives There is not a nation or a kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them swear that they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you and when I leave leave you. If I go and I tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshiped the Lord since the days of my youth. Haven't you heard what I did did while Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid 150 prophets in two caves, 50 each, and I supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say Elijah is here? He will kill me. Stop right there for a minute and catch this. Half of the story of Obadiah is his complaint that he has to put his career on the line. Please don't miss that. Half of his story is complaint for putting his career on the line. Now look at verse 15. Elijah says, as the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. Can I tell you what I think Obadiah is doing here? I think pressure had built up and he's letting off a little bit of steam. He's scared. He's been exhibiting courageous faith and the Lord has asked for it again. And he has to have the courage to offer it. For some of you, you need to know God did not give you your career so that one day you could rise up like the phoenix and everybody could look at you as the glorious example of what it means to be in that big position. God has given you power and authority. He's given you wisdom and insight. The parents you have, the education you received, the opportunities that were put in front of you that you might fulfill his will. That is the role of the believer. Do you hear me? That is the role of the believer. If you're taking notes, our last point today, how do you serve God during a difficult season? Number one, you are courageous in living your faith. Number two, you expect the Lord's involvement in your daily life. And number three, you submit to the Lord's leading in spite of uncertainty. You submit to the Lord's leading in spite of uncertainty. I want to encourage you, just say yes. 
We also learn this, and this is important. In the story here of Obadiah, he is fully cognizant of what it will cost him to follow the Lord. Listen, and that is not a sin. If you're taking notes, write this down. Our last quote today. It is not a sin to have full knowledge of how serious a decision is. It is not a sin to have full knowledge of how serious a decision is. The beauty of the will of God is that if you don't understand why it's important and God calls you to do something, if you do it, it's his will. But if you do have full knowledge of what God is doing and just how intense the circumstances are, listen, you receive a bonus blessing you get to see just how much faith was required or a clearer picture of how much faith was required and how the Lord's work is, how the, how the Lord uh, is working in our midst. You get to see the nuts and bolts of just how much work God does on your behalf. A little follow-up to that. It's not a sin to have full knowledge of how serious a decision is, but it is a sin to tell God no when he leads you somewhere. It is a sin to tell God no when he leads you somewhere. In the end, Elijah says, you gotta trust me. You gotta say yes, and I will do what I'm supposed to do. It begs the, following, the final question today. Is fear stopping you from following the Lord's leading? Is fear stopping you from following the Lord's leading? I'm sorry this isn't easier, guys, but it's just the truth. None of you are here by accident today. In fact, in this city, whether you moved here or you are fighting to stay here there is not a single person that is here by accident and it is a city that will make you weary go to God for your strength and then trust him in all things exhibit faith and if you've done it before he's going to ask you to do it again when your time is done here he'll let you know trust him and follow him in all things let's bow our heads for prayer with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me. We call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here today that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time that I was courageous in my faith. And remember, that doesn't mean that you stand with your hands on your hips and are prideful, but that you would say, you know what, I'm ready to step out in faith and do what God's called me to do. With nobody looking around but just me, if that's you, I just want to pray for you. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would have a double portion of courage today. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But maybe you just pray this simple prayer. Lord, please give me courage in a double portion that I might make an eternal impact. Lord, give me courage in a double portion that I might make an eternal impact. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need to keep my head up. I need to start watching the horizon, just like the prodigal's father, just like Denzel Washington. And remember the Titans. I need to keep my eyes up and remember the miracle is coming. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, 
pray that I would keep my head up. Just like that verse in Psalms, God is the lifter of our head. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would keep my head up. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. So many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that's you, just pray that simple prayer. God, be my shield and lift up my head. God, be my shield and lift up my head. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? Would you pray that I would submit to the Lord's leading instead of worrying about my career? Now, just for the record, it doesn't mean that you're not cognizant and you certainly don't need to make foolish decisions. But if you have had a stirring in your spirit that you need to do something, I want to encourage you to have the courage to step out in faith and follow the Lord. With nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would submit to the Lord's leading in spite of uncertainty. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. It's powerful. It's powerful. Y'all can put your hands down. That's so hard in this city because we have so much to lose. I don't want you walking away from today saying, Pastor Zach told me to quit. That's not the deal. But man, you submit to God. That job you do belongs to him. That title you have belongs to him. And we submit to him in that leading. I'm going to pray for you, but if that's you, just pray that simple prayer. Lord, my career, my life, my family, my desires, they belong to you. I submit to your leading. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. Thank you for the chance that we've had to study your word. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray that we would follow Obadiah's example. Lord, for those who are here that need to be courageous, I pray that they would be able to look back on their lives and remember the courageous eternal impact that they had because they said yes to you. Give them a double portion of courage today, Father. Lord, for those who are in a circumstance where their head is dropped down, I pray that you would be their shield, their protector, and the lifter of their head. Help them to keep their eyes up, watching the horizon, because the miracle is coming. And then, Lord, we pray for those who need to submit to your leading, who need to trust you with their career, their family, the things that are most precious to them. Help them to trust you. And God, I pray that you would again be their shield and the lifter of their head. Protect them in that leading and show them what they're supposed to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.